The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Lord God, we pray that you will settle our hearts and remind us of the confidence that we should have in you. Keeping our eyes on Jesus and not on the various circumstances that, that cause us to worry or be depressed. Lord, help us to always remember that you are with us, that you are good, that regardless of our inability to make sense of things, you are worthy of our complete trust, our confidence, because your ways are higher than ours. Your plans are always perfect and good. So we worship you. For you alone are worthy and your your word is forever true. Thank you for this time that we've enjoyed so far for the blessing it is to commune with Christ your your spirit connecting us to him in this meal. The blessing it is to to sing. We look forward to the blessing of fellowship after the service and bless this time now, we pray in your word. We give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you didn't get my uh, email earlier in the week, you do know we send out emails every once in a while. Um, That is on, Steve, the link to sign up for the e that's on our website so go to that and um, sign up for the email if you don't if you don't get it because I just I need to say if you didn't get the email I sent out earlier I just want to say again and it was hard to believe but I was wrong I was wrong yes I, I, I feel like I really missed an opportunity last week to, to compare the, the, the agora, the marketplace in Athens, which was this hub of society, communication, this, this sharing of ideas with... I, I failed to compare that, such an obvious comparison to social media. And I know some of you, and I kind of express that as well. It's like, ah, oh, social media. But really, there's a good comparison there. Regardless, you know, and it also fits with that message too, because regardless of, of um, the results, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't judge Paul's speech uh, simply by the results. There's danger with social media. There's danger with Paul going to the marketplace. There's mocking. There's lack of results. This is typically our experience if we get into online discussions or debates. But it wasn't a waste of time for Paul. And neither is it for some of us who engage in that way. It takes, um, you know, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. Certainly there's wisdom in avoiding um, the narcissism and the terrible pressures that social media can put on our kids. There's danger there. Uh, and I was reminded 
though, that sometimes people really are convinced. Sometimes uh, there really are people who change their minds in an online discussion or debate. And that some have even come to Christ as a result of this. So I want to just say, you know, it's a great, it's a great tool. And we ought to have a voice for God in every sphere of our culture. So go there if, if, if you're gifted in, in that way. Some of you have a wonderful voice there. You're, um, you're a little like Paul in the marketplace where there really wasn't much success. And if we judge success, that is if we judge success by numbers. Uh, but we need to remember that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the results. It's never a waste of time to rightly and humbly assert the truth of God to an unbelieving world. The success and the numbers are in God's hands. And I don't, you know, I've heard sermons on that section of of, uh, Acts 17. I don't agree with some Bible teachers who say that, well... Paul's strategy was wrong. He, he reasoned um, with the people in Athens getting into philosophy, and he didn't talk about Jesus. And, and that's why not many people came to... I, I think that's wrong. Um, it's a bad argument because not only did Paul talk about Jesus, he did talk about Jesus and the resurrection. It's in the text. But he did so in a way that that so wisely paid attention to his audience, engaging with them where they're at. And the Lord is sovereign to save. We're called to be faithful to talk about God and um, to talk about the Lord and people's need for a Savior. But the results are up to God. The results are up to God. And those who, who wrongly criticize Paul's message in Athens, they, they just tend to do so because they're only looking at numbers. Trying to, and if we're only looking at, about, at numbers, what does that say? It, it says you know, that it's really up to us and uh, that maybe we have the ability to convince someone into the kingdom. So with that said... We need to be discerning, and I know, and we also need to know when to stop. I just think, you know, sometimes there's, it's like, am I casting pearl before swine here? Have I gone far enough? Uh, am I paying attention? Do I, do I need to, um, we'll see in our text, you know, Paul shakes off his clothes, and that's, that's like an Old Testament prophet thing. It's like, let judgment be upon you. You're responsible. I'm done with you. So we need to shake off our keyboards sometimes and just move on and not waste our time. So be discerning, be intentional, be aware of the dangers, but keep talking, keep speaking about God, whether it's in person or online. But still, even though the success is up to God, you know, looking at this text, I imagine that that Paul may have been a little discouraged still. A little discouraged as he moved on from Athens to Corinth. Athens was this philosophical, intellectual center. And now Paul's taken a trip to Vegas. 
basically. One author said that Corinth was the vanity fair of the Roman world. And another said, you know, it was a lot like Las Vegas of its time. It was glitzy. It was extravagant. It was a place of entertainment. It hosted the, the Isthmian Games, which was um, second to uh, only to the Olympic Games, something similar to that. So Las Vegas, you know, it seems like a good comparison because, um, you know, even though I, I really haven't been there since I was a kid, whenever it's funny, whenever I talk to people who take a trip to Vegas, there's, there's these two very contrasting uh, experiences and, and, you know, they either, they either love it and they're like, oh, the, the architecture, the shows, the... You know, it was so much fun. And then others are like, oh, it's disgusting. And there's just sex everywhere. It's just, you know, depravity. It's Sin City. So it's like one or the other that you get. And, um, you know, Paul, Paul was leaving this cultural capital of the world, traveling around 50 miles southwest to a city that's known for immorality. People even had a a euphemism for fornication, saying that a person was playing the Corinthian. So quite the reputation that they had. Maybe it's a little like us saying, you know what? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's it's the same kind of thing. So there there was this long history of sexual immorality having to do with Corinth. Initially, initially it's this Greek city, and in 146 B.C., uh, Rome mostly destroyed it, and then in 44 BC, before Julius Caesar died, he ordered that Corinth be rebuilt as a Roman colony. And it said in, in Paul's time, you know, it was it was Roman. Its architecture, its law, its language uh, was Roman, and apparently not nearly as bad. As it's past. Still Sin City, but not really as bad. I think they probably, um, they probably started a marketing campaign with cheap airfare and saying we're family friendly. I think that's probably what was happening. So it wasn't nearly as bad as it used to be. Regardless, it still had a reputation. Its location led to to many travelers. It's this perfect place for business, uh, fast-growing, popular city. But Paul must have been a little discouraged because, think of it, he's leaving this place where people, people actually wanted to debate ideas. A place where people would listen to him, whether they agreed or not. and the resurrection, and now he's going to this this superficial city that wasn't really interested in that kind of talk. They're more interested in sex and sports. Uh, Probably a lot of parallels, not only with Vegas, but America in general. In past weeks, we've considered that we we ought to admire, we ought to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And yet here, we're going to see that he's, Paul's very much 
we can... He's very human here. I mean, of course he's human, but we see... We see his humanity. We see his weakness. He describes his entry into Corinth as being in weakness and in fear and much trembling. This is the state of mind that he has as he comes into the city of Corinth. And if you identify with Paul, uh, some of you are, are right where he's, he was at. You're right there right now. You're feeling, you're feeling weary. You're feeling anxious. You're afraid. Maybe even struggling with depression. And I, when I look at this text, I, I, I think, man, there's some practical and some spiritual helps for us in this text. So let's pick up the story in Acts 18. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 17 of Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath And tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, for from now on I will go to the Gentiles." And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, again, if you're if you're if you're feeling or or when you feel weak and weary and discouraged. Uh, fearful and depressed. There's some good instruction for us here. 
Paul describes himself in 1 Corinthians as coming to them in weakness and fear. He's, he's faced a lot of hard things. And I imagine Athens was, it was both discouraging and maybe a little refreshing at the same time. Refreshing because, well, he didn't get beat up. Uh, there wasn't a mob picking up stones and he, he wasn't forced out of town. But the idolatry, well, that certainly provoked his spirit. And it, it doesn't appear that, yeah, not very many came to Christ. So it's safe to say that these circumstances were uh, beginning to have an effect on Paul. Also, I think, you know, weakness and fear, he's alone. He's alone. His companions... Um, They may have come to him for a short time when he was in Athens. Some say that that they did. And then Paul sent them back to strengthen the churches in Macedonia. But mostly he's alone. And loneliness gets to all of us. Especially especially when everything's a battle. When, When all you know are arguments and opposition. Mix that with some loneliness, and that's going to get you down. Another circumstance that, that may be getting to Paul is his, his finances. You never worry about money, do you? Uh, money, wow, money is amazingly always a concern. Something that causes us anxiety. Paul left the church uh, this second missionary journey, he left the church in Antioch, apparently with their financial support. But now he's far from home base, and he's probably looking for work. We read of him looking for work because, well, he's running out of money. He's a tent maker. He learned a trade, either from his father growing up or um, as a Pharisee, because a part of Training as a Pharisee involved them insisting upon you having some trade, developing some trade along with your education. So this is the first time that we read of Paul working a side job. So we have, we have loneliness, we have financial need, and these things can make us feel weak and fearful. But then look how the Lord supplies his need. Paul finds a a Jew named Aquila, and he has two things in common, their faith and their trade. And now Paul also has a place to stay. So the Lord has provided for him wonderfully. Uh, Paul, again, Paul is human. He's just like us in the sense that we're all made in the image of God, which partly means that we are relational beings. God God eternally relates within the Godhead as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so being made in His image means that, well, it's not good for us to be alone. We're relational as He is relational. And something else about being made in God's image is the goodness of work. A lot of people think of work as, as a result of the curse. No. Uh, frustration in our work is a result of the curse. God creates. 
He works, and it's good. And God creates us, and as those who are made in His image, He gives us the satisfaction of work, of subduing and and bringing order to creation, being fruitful and multiplying, being fruitful in our labor. Work is, it's not a part of the curse. Work is a blessing. So, when we're feeling depressed, when we feel weak and afraid, one uh, bit of practical help is get with people. Get with people, especially people who share your faith, and stay busy. Stay busy because work, work can be very therapeutic. It's a, means, it's a means of God's provision for us. So if you're struggling with, with loneliness and depression, discouragement and fear, remember these, there's two practical helps. Fellowship and work. Fellowship and work. You're made to be with people and you're made to work. And, and if you've ever struggled with depression, it's funny that, that when you're in the midst of depression, there are two things that you want to avoid. You don't want to get out of bed and you don't want to be around people. So a very practical response to depression is to force yourself to do what you don't want to do. To resist being idle and isolated and instead get busy and force yourself to be around people, especially believers who can tell you the truth about God. God blesses us with relationships, with marriage and family and with the body of Christ, his church. And if you're not married and if you're away from family, then you're, you're a bit like Paul. And the church ought to be that, that much more precious to you. And if you are married and you do have a family, remember that the church is not simply the next best thing. No, it's, it's the relationship that extends into eternity. And we need to be all the more mindful of those who need our fellowship. A big part of your ministry may be hospitality. Being a friend to people, having them over, meeting for coffee, having, having good conversations. I imagine Paul at the home of Priscilla and Aquila having wonderful conversations and how God ministered to, to him and that weakness and fear that he was feeling through that. So God provided for Paul in these, in these ways of fellowship and work. But it didn't replace, it didn't replace his calling to go and share the gospel. It enabled him. Verse 4 tells us that he continues going to the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles. Another struggle that, that likely led to Paul feeling weak and fearful would be his past. I mean, if ever, they didn't talk about this back then, but if ever there was a person with PTSD, it would have been Paul. Think of it. How, how could he not tremble at the thought of going back into a synagogue where he knows that some of these Jews are going to hate his message and hate him? He's, he's already faced riots. He's already faced imprisonment, mobs stoning him, even being stalked. Jews following him from town to town, 
in order to do him harm. So how does anyone experience that kind of past and not grow weak and fearful? He's human. Of course he did. But what a gift God's given us in Christian fellowship and in our work. These these gifts encourage us to continue doing what God calls us to do. We need people. We need people to tell us the truth, to remind us of God's faithfulness, to share how God has comforted us in times of trouble. So Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila. And I wonder if Paul was thinking of them when he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We need people. Priscilla and Aquila know what it is to endure persecution. They know what it is to be kicked out of a city. In verse 2 we read that they came from Rome because Claudius commanded all of the Jews to leave. According to the Roman historian uh, Suetonius, the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome and, and likely in, in their mind, Jew, Christian, same thing. You're ar- this is the group that's arguing. Y'all get out of here. <laughs> Sick of the trouble. Emperor Claudius expels the Jews from Rome in AD 49 because... They were making constant disturbances in the instigation of Christus. Now there's two thoughts there. That was apparently a really common name, so it might just be coincidence. Others, some believe that this was a misspelling of Christus, referring to Christ, and that the disturbances were the kinds of things that we've seen Paul dealing with whenever he presents Jesus to Jews in a synagogue. So the impression that we get is that a a Christian community had already begun in Rome, maybe a result of of Pentecost and disciples going back to their, their homeland or all the travel that took place because of the Roman roads. And so this um, Christian community had already started in Rome and Christians and Jews Especially at this time, there's conflict, there's disturbances. And, and so Emperor Claudius just says, get out of here. It's a pattern that we see in the ministry of Paul between believers and Jews. And Roman history speaks of this during this reign of Claudius. So Priscilla and Aquila were likely already Christians, exiled from their home, and now working in Corinth. And now joining the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Isn't that incredible? I love this because how many experiences have you had where you're asking, Lord, why? This doesn't make any sense. And then months or years later, you see his hand of providence. You see his plan and how he's worked good through that confusing time of suffering. Priscilla and Aquila are probably, why? They get to Corinth, 
meet up with Paul and they're like, oh, Lord, we have this new vision of ministry and life. They faced riots, were kicked from their kicked out from their home, and God ordained it in order to bring them to Paul. And they were able to comfort one another with the comfort each received from God. Oh, what does this tell us? It tells us uh, we can trust God, can't we? We can trust Him. You may be going through a, a terrible time, the worst time of your life. And you don't know why God would would do this. Why He would allow such weakness and fear and sorrow to come into your life. That's why we need the church. It's why we need to connect with one another. To pray for and comfort one another with the comfort we've received from God. You, And you can't get that... In our technological age, you can't get that from a podcast. Yes, you're going to hear better sermons on a podcast, but you're not going to get that. There's nothing like being a part of a church where we minister to one another. God provides. And in verse 5, we see that Silas and Timothy, they're, they're back. They've come from Macedonia They've come providing a a financial gift from the churches there. And so now Paul is, is freed up that he might be even more occupied with preaching the word of God. And here's where some PTSD may have occurred. Once again, Paul goes to the Jews and in the synagogue preaches that Jesus is the Messiah. And once again, they oppose and revile him. And Paul discerns that, well, it's time to move on. It's time to leave, to leave that online debate. He said what, he need, what needed to be said, and he's discerning their hard hearts, and it's just time to, to leave this area of ministry. But amazingly, what does he do? Courageously, what does he do? Paul has the nerve to set up the Corinthian ministry headquarters next door to the synagogue. And the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, believes. His entire household and many other uh, people believe and they're baptized. And you'd think, you'd think... Paul would be greatly encouraged and strengthened by this. And and maybe he was to some degree, but it also seems that there's some kind of fear creeping in. He's thinking, I've been through this before. I know what's coming. A little PTSD happening. He knows the Jews are going to become jealous over these new converts, especially the conversion of the synagogue leader. And I say that Paul is feeling this way because why else would Jesus waste words on him? Because right after this this great thing has happened, Jesus comes to him in a vision after these conversions and says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. In this vision, Jesus gives Paul some spiritual help for his struggle. The practical helps were fellowship and work. And now Jesus gives him 
five spiritual truths. So I want to think of five spiritual truths. First, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Now, if Jesus came to you in the midst of your anxiety and you you actually heard him say, don't be afraid, would you find that comforting? (laughs) Of course you would. I imagine all of us would say, well, yeah, that'd be great. But Jesus isn't coming to me in a vision. And you're right, he isn't giving us some audiovisual experience, but, but he does give us his word. And I'm sure that Paul wasn't only relying upon, upon this vision, but he was also, these, this vision, he wasn't relying on that, but the, but the words that were spoken to him by Jesus, they reminded him of other words. And we have this as well. We have the witness of Scripture. We have, we have the words behind the words. We have the words behind the words. It's one of the wonderful things about God's Word. All of these genres of literature. You know, think of it. Um, we have... The you know wonderful things about God's word. It's not, it's not only didactic. It's not only you know these these letters that say here's how here's here's what you should believe. It's not just instruction. It's not just teaching. It's not just didactic. It's not simply it's not simply a collection of of teachings that tell us how to be. It's not only wisdom sayings. It's not only poetry and songs. It's all of these and it's historic narrative. It's historic narrative showing us, showing us in time and space how God has worked with his people. Historic narrative is the, it's the context, it's the, it's the background that leads to the wisdom literature and the poetry and the songs and these direct teachings. So Paul, Paul would have heard these words of instruction, this, these words from Jesus and thought, actually, here's what he wouldn't have thought. He wouldn't have thought, well, how do I know? How do I know? What reason do you have? What reason do I have to not be afraid, Jesus? Is there any history to support this statement? No, he would have thought of all of the reasons why this is true for him. Because it's been true for all who are in covenant with God. Time after time, God has come to his people and said these very words, do not be afraid. They're familiar words. And they're never empty. Paul would have thought about Joshua. He would have thought about Elijah and Elisha. He would have, he would have remembered Jeremiah and words spoken to God's people through Isaiah. He would have thought about the stories that he heard from Jesus' disciples and how Jesus walked on the water to them and said to them, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. God is 
constantly speaking to his people, saying these words, do not be afraid. And he probably, he probably does because it's normal for us to be afraid. It's repeated over and over and over again because we're human. We face enemies and circumstances that, that threaten us. And, and honestly, we have good reason to be afraid. These things are real. They hurt. There are dangers. But there's a spiritual truth that we need to hear. If God tells us, do not be afraid, and he does, then we should trust him. Because, well, he's got a good track record. He's God. He's actually in control of all of his creation. He's secured our victory over every evil, every power. He's promised to help us. So we really don't need to be afraid. In a sermon by some obscure, unknown English preacher, Chuck something, he said... You often will hear two Christians talk. One of them will say, All my troubles and trials and sorrows, they are so great I can hardly sustain them. I don't know how to bear my afflictions from day to day. The other says, Ah, my troubles and trials are not less severe, but nevertheless, they have been less than nothing. I can laugh at impossibilities and say they will be done. What is the cause of the difference between these men? The secret is that one of them carries his troubles and the other did not. It doesn't matter to a porter how heavy a load may be if he can find another to carry it all for him. But if he is to carry it all himself, of course he does not like a heavy load. So one man bears his troubles himself and gets his back nearly broken, but the other casts his troubles on the Lord. Ah, it doesn't matter how heavy troubles are if you can cast them on the Lord. The heavier they are, so much the better, for the more you have gotten rid of, then the more there is laid upon the rock of our salvation. Never be afraid of troubles. Troubles. However heavy they are, God's eternal shoulders can bear them. He whose omnipotence is testified by the revolving planets and systems of enormous galaxies can well sustain you. Is his arm too short that he cannot save or is he weary that he cannot hold you tightly? Your troubles are nothing to God, for the very clouds are the dust of his feet. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus not only tells Paul, do not be afraid, but he he also commands him to go on speaking and do not be silent. So a second spiritual truth is the encouragement to keep being a witness for Jesus. Don't don't let your fear, your heavy load, paralyze you. 
And that's what we tend to do. We get so overcome and so fearful that we're just paralyzed and we don't do anything. We don't say anything. We're, we stop doing what we're called to do as Christians. So don't let frustrations over poor results keep you from saying what needs to be said. Jesus, Jesus knew what was coming for Paul. He knew that Paul would be tempted to, to just leave Corinth and move on. But he wants him to keep speaking. For Paul, these words are much more direct, aren't they? God has a plan for Corinth. He has many people there to save. It will be a, it'll be a key church to the surrounding areas and the, and the spread of the gospel. And even though Paul moves on from the Jews to the Gentiles in, in Corinth, he needs to keep speaking of Jesus and salvation. For us... Okay, yes, there's a time to move on. We need to discern when to shake the dust off of our keyboards and, and, and just move on. But moving on shouldn't result in, in silence. We need, to keep, we need to be discerning, but we need to always keep speaking the truth about Jesus. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So don't be afraid. Keep speaking about Jesus. And third, Jesus tells Paul and reminds us saying, I am with you. I am with you. Again, Paul hears and we should hear the promise of God. That he is always with his people. It's not only a a statement. It's also a reality that we see throughout biblical history. When Joseph was sold into slavery, we read that the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. When Moses was was nervous about going back to Egypt because he was a wanted man, the Lord said, but I will be with you. When Joshua was concerned about replacing Moses, the Lord said, just as I was with Moses... So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. We hear this when Gideon faced the Midianite army. And we hear the Lord reassuring us of his presence through the prophet Isaiah. A wonderful passage that says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, though they shall not overwhelm you, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So, we don't need a vision. We don't need some other vision, because God's Word speaks to us. And if Jesus is your Lord and Savior... He does tell you. He does tell you these things. And the Spirit ministers this truth to the deepest part of you. You know that it's true. He reassures you. He tells you to not be afraid. To keep talking about Him. And that He'll never leave you. That He's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's the Savior. And He's he's proved it. He's proved His love for you. Fourth, Paul is, he's given this very specific word 
for his particular circumstance. Jesus says, uh, he says, no one will attack you to harm you. And you think, well, okay, what do we get from this? Because, well, it's very specific to Paul and his circumstance. The Jews would, you know, we read, they're going to bring him. Jesus knows what's to come. He's going to be brought before Gallio, falsely accused of a crime. And then we see the fulfillment of these words in that he was not harmed. He was not attacked. Gallio dismisses the charges, wanting nothing to do with it. And, and what this tells us, ultimately, is that Jesus is sovereign. He knows. He controls. He could say, you're not going to be attacked You're not going to be harmed because he's sovereign. He's telling Paul, don't worry about the threat that's coming. (laughs) Which is kind of funny because Paul's like, okay, I'm reassured and not. Uh, It's like a kid going to the doctor and mom says, it's not going to hurt too much. Uh, You won't be harmed. He's in control. So, okay, we can't claim this promise that no one's ever going to attack us or harm us. And in fact, beyond this immediate circumstance, Paul couldn't claim it either. Because he's going to face his own future attacks and he's going to be executed. Paul was reassured, but he may have also wondered, you know, what's coming. And there's there's a spiritual truth for us in that... God knows what's coming. God's sovereign over the events of our lives. He's able to prevent the attacks and the harm. And ultimately, He does promise to work all things, even even great suffering. He's able to work it for our good. So yes, there may be physical harm, there may be attacks, but not apart from the sovereign care of God. And that is reassuring. Not apart from the sovereign care of God who, who promises, promises us an ultimate good. And with this in mind, I think of Peter who wrote, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Each of us, each of us, we would like to hear something specific about the outcome or the, or the protection within a particular circumstance. But really, the greatest comfort we can receive is to know simply that God loves us, that He's with us, that He'll cause us to endure in faith to the end and the blessing he promises, it's, oh, it's described as this eternal weight of glory that's going to make our particular painful circumstances seem light and momentary by comparison. It's a great assurance to know that, that God knows what he's doing. To know that he is perfect in wisdom and knowledge and goodness. And so even this, even this painful suffering... It's a part of His sovereign care for us. His blessing to us. So, don't be afraid. Keep being a witness for Jesus. 
Know that He is with you. Know that God is sovereign over your days. And lastly, know that God is sovereign to save. For He said to Paul, amazingly, I have many in this city who are my people. (laughs) Because of fear, because of frustration, Paul might have decided to leave Corinth. But God had a plan, and telling Paul that there were many people that, that already belonged to him led Paul to staying for a year and a half and be an evangelist, establishing a church there in Corinth. That's an amazing combination of things there, right? Evangelism and God foreknowing who are his, predestinating them calling them through Paul's evangelism. What a great confidence and a reassurance this brings to fearful people, a discouraged or depressed people, people who wonder if they should keep speaking, keep praying for loved ones who don't know the Lord. To hear the Lord said, say, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Keep speaking. Keep praying. I have a plan for you. And I'm, I'm sovereign to save. It's a message of hope. It's a message that tells us of a, of a very big God who is worthy of our praise and faithful witness. This truth of, of evangelism and the sovereignty of God, it's glorious. It's mysterious. It's, it's hard to comprehend and yet... Do we really need to fully comprehend something in order to embrace it as true? There are a lot of things that I know are true and I don't understand. Simple things. But none of them compare to this. None of them compare to the the nature and the workings of God. So, it makes sense that I, a puny, finite being, can't begin to fully comprehend things about the omnipotent, infinite God, right? Concerning evangelism and the sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer wrote, So far from making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God in grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless. For it creates the possibility, indeed, the certainty that evangelism will be fruitful. Were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen, and there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. In other words, all of our work is in vain if we think success depends upon our efforts alone. We don't have the ability to change anyone's heart. We can pray that the Lord take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. We don't have that kind of ability yet realizing this. It shouldn't cause us to give up and do nothing. Instead, no, it's, it's God's plan to use us. He didn't have to. He, he chose to do it this way. To bring about faith in Christ through Amazingly, our words, His words through our mouths. We're, we're not called to, to understand the process so much as we're called to agree 
and to faithfully speak the gospel and pray for the lost and trust the Lord to do what he has perfectly chosen to do. And with that said, I think of so many of you who are in difficult situations where you're, you're really not free to speak. That you can't simultaneously maintain a relationship with a loved one and speak of the gospel. And maintaining that relationship is critical. You must. So I imagine you may be weary. You're probably discouraged by that. Even depressed about this. Fearful about this. So whether this is you or you have other situations that that create similar anxieties, it's good for us to hear the words of Jesus, isn't it? Don't be afraid. Keep speaking, even if it's to someone else or in prayer to me about that loved one. Keep speaking. Keep speaking the truth about God. Seek out the fellowship of the church. Know that He is with you. Know that He is in control. That Jesus is the Savior who is worthy of your trust. Let's pray. Lord God, You have proven Yourself over and over And over again, you've proven your sovereign care for your people throughout history and in our own lives as well. And we thank you that you are compassionate toward us in our fear and weakness. You are compassionate because you you experienced this weakness by taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. You know You truly understand that we are but dust. And so we need to be continually reminded that just as you were with us in the past, just as you proved yourself faithful then, so will you be with us now and always. And knowing this, knowing you and all that you've done and proven to us in Jesus, it reassures us once again, telling us, to not be afraid, telling us to be confident in you and your promises to us, telling us that you are good and worthy of our praise. Amen. Let's worship him now.